everybody. Merry Christmas. I uh, hope you're having a great week. I hope you've got your shopping done, all that stuff. If not, I guess you got a few more days, but it's coming to a close. Uh, but no, I'm I'm pretty stoked about it. I'm glad Christmas is on us. I hope you are too. And um, just feel like it's going to be good this year. I feel like uh, I, I don't know why. Maybe it's just me, but 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 uh, you know, 2020 has been something for real. And I hope Christmas for you is a a good almost escape from everything and a time to be. Uh, alone with your family, and uh, even more so, a time to be close to the Lord. And um, today we're going to do something a little different, not terribly different, but a little bit different, just because for one, it's Christmas, but for two, I always like to do this at the end of each year. You'll see what I mean in a second. But um, uh, And then as a church, you know, we're going to still gather tonight like we do. You're welcome to come. We meet uh, here at our house in Tempe, Arizona. And love for you to come. If you're anywhere in the East Valley, you're more than welcome. You can hit us up online. We'll tell you how to find where we are. Uh, we just get together, have some food, and then hang out and pray. Uh, pretty pretty hardcore on the prayer, man. I believe in prayer, really do. So we spend some good time there, and then we get in the Word. So, um, but it's Christmas time, so you never can tell what might happen tonight. So anyway, I, I hope you can come. If you want to, hit us up. We'll tell you how to get here. But let's jump into the Word today, and uh, again, things are going to be just a little bit different in the way I approach what we do today, but that being said, we are still going to continue to stay with our topic, which is, is God among us? But today, the idea of, is God among us, comes to a huge head, and uh, we're going to jump forward, but we'll come back, but we're going to jump forward and look at, is God among us as a child? Because Christmas is no better time than to talk about is God among us. And in fact, I have noted each time is God among us, not one of us, but among us. But in this case, in this case, yes, one of us as a child. Is God among us as a child? Literally one of us. It's crazy. Uh, I'll read the text that we're looking at. And don't take it personal. I said it's crazy. You'll understand why I said that in a second. <laughs> Luke chapter 2, my verse here, verse 40, says, uh, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Lord, as always, man, it's so awesome, Father. It's so incredible. And we're so grateful for it. Lord, thank you for giving it to us, for trusting us with it. God, I pray that we stand in awe of it. That we, we hold the actual words of God. Help us see it that way. Help us embrace it that way. Let it change our lives. I keep saying our and us because I mean that for me especially. Today as we talk about your word, Lord, I pray it will always stay your word. Never let it turn into something that's not your word. Never let me try to steal it and make it my word. I love you, Lord, and I just thank you for letting us have it. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, in my 20 years of serving in ministry, I'm going to put these out of the way because I already know me. I'll be monkeying around with those glasses, drop them, or do something stupid. So, <laughs> But my 20 years of being in ministry, uh, which is, you know, it's limited in some capacity for real. I don't have a whole bunch of letters after my name or anything like that. But in those 20 years, one thing I definitely have learned is you can never learn enough. And I've tried to make it my kind of life 
goal to always be learning something, to always be, you know, whatever it is, to always be trying to learn something. But in those 20 years, there definitely have been some interesting moments, uh, to say the least. And I recall a couple of gentlemen that I'll bring back to attention for you. One of them, I remember, is a youth pastor, uh, or was at the time anyway, a youth pastor who was fresh out of seminary, and he claimed that he could explain the incarnation, that God became a man, what we're talking about, that God was born a child. He could easily explain that, that it, it was easy. And I was like, really? And asked him to, and of course he said, sure. He said, uh, and he gives us this canned statement, I can't even remember what it was, but some canned seminary sentence that was right out of a textbook. In a sentence now, uh, an explanation of how God became a man. Um, and he said it with such pride. Like he was, oh yeah, I got the answer to that. You know. But then I also remember another guy who was working on a PhD for seminary in, um, in uh, Scotland is where the seminary was. But he was doing an internship with us at the church I was at. And after he had gone through this long discussion of dismissing Isaiah 53 as being about Hezekiah instead of about Christ, which that's another thing, but that was where he went through all this. Then he kind of, as we were talking later, he kind of said to me, you know, I'm envious of you. He said this to me. And I was like, what? Like, what are you? I was confused by it. He said, I have studied the wonder out of Scripture. And I think I've mentioned both of these illustrations before, but I bring them back to mind now because there are two things that stay in my head, particularly when we come to talking about what we're talking about today. Uh, I have studied the wonder out of Scripture. I'll never forget those words. You have these two men, these two extremes going on here. One who has all the answers, though he's blind to the reality of the moment. Um, and then you have the one who sought the literal reality and then lost the ability to be filled with awe at all. So today, listen, there's no outline. Today there's no, uh, you know, detailed, deep, comprehensive exposition of a passage. I'm not digging in and pulling out Greek or Hebrew words today. Uh, in fact, just the opposite in a sense. I want to take you to a place of questions. And then I want to leave you there. That sounds horrible, but that's what I want to do. I want to take you to a place of questions, and then I want to leave you there. And I want to remind you just how amazing Christmas is. Just how amazing Christmas is. And, and, and the whole thing of what's going on here, the, the fact that what is so unbelievable is what we believe. If you're fair, it's so unbelievable, and yet it's what we believe. And I want you to find yourself today in awe of God. That's all. Just in awe of God. And if it's for the first time, even better. But if not, I want you to go back there again, to walk away from this in a bit of shock, if anything, okay? So Luke 2, I read it already, verse 40. And the child grew, talking about Jesus here, grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Is it possible that God grew? We believe Jesus to be God. Is it possible that God grew? What does that even mean? Like, what does that even look like? What does it imply? How do you wrap your brain around that? 
I've heard a lot of attempts to explain it. And if you jump in commentaries, there's all kinds of approaches to explaining what it means that by the word used there for grew or the words used this way or in this context or with this uh, verb, all, all this kind of stuff to explain that. But first of all, let me just dispel the idea that it's bad not having all the answers. Let's just get rid of the fact that it's bad to not have all the answers. The reality that we can't understand everything is actually a huge gift from God. You understand what I'm saying? You hear what I'm saying? The reality that we can't understand everything is actually a really good thing, and it's a gift. It's a gift from God. Imagine imagine studying for years to learn uh, I don't know why the sun rotates the way it does or why it shines like it does. But when you go to explain it to somebody, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, that's just a result of blah, 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 blah. They already know. You go to explain it to somebody, oh, yeah, yeah, that's just because of blah, 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 blah. Or imagine you're born in Germany in the 1930s and you're raised in this Nazi world. But everybody else already knows exactly what World War II is like, what World War II was all about. They, they know what it's like to witness those things. What about if you imagine, I mean, excuse me, what about if you invented the way or the cure or a way to, to slow aging, a cure for skin spots or, or wrinkles or whatever. You find, you find a way to slow aging, but everybody already knows that. As soon as you get ready to put out, everybody's like, well, you figured that we all know that. We figured that out. Or if you found a solution to one of NASA's most complex mathematical equations, and you learn everybody knows that too. Wouldn't that be a frustrating world? Now, imagine God's perspective. He does know everything. He's infinitely more wise and knowledgeable and creative, all right? Yet, it's a blessing from him that he allows us to discover things. Instead of just telling us, oh, here's your answer, oh, here's your answer, he allows us to discover things, to learn and to bless others with what we learn. Not only that, we bless him by sharing what we've learned about him or the way he's created the universe. When we discover something about the universe and we share it with others, we help others learn. But at the same time, we, we magnify God's amazing creativity or design or whatever else. It, it, best of all, we get to wonder what else there is. There's more. Wait, there's more here. Wait, there's more here. If you're a mathematician, oh my gosh, there's more here. If you're an artist, oh man, I could paint more here. There's more colors than I thought. Um, you know, whatever it is, if you're a history person, you discover, oh, there's more. There's more to the story. There's more to the story. And those things excite us. Not knowing, not being able to explain everything is a gift. It's a gift. We got to not race away from that. But when it comes to faith now, everybody goes scoffing when we don't have answers, when we can't explain everything. Immediately, people start to scoff. Why? Faith, by definition, requires a suspension of complete explanation. Faith, by definition, it requires a suspension of complete explanation. Being willing to say, I, don't, I can't explain it all, but I believe it. 
Faith requires a sense of awe and wonder at what cannot be explained while also having complete confidence in it. You hear what I'm saying? Faith means that I can't completely explain it, but I'm blown away by it and I'm completely convinced it's true. That God grew. That's so beyond. It's something of awe. It's something shocking, you know. But I have complete confidence in its reality. I have complete confidence it's true that God became a child. I'm telling you right now that God became a child is so beyond. It's so full of awe and wonder, but I have complete confidence in it as well. God's word gives good reason to believe, guys. Good reason to believe um, what is impossible. What is impossible to get your brain around, there's good reason to believe it in God's word. And I'm going to show you some of that today, but not in an attempt to explain all of these things. I'm not trying to make a, a good explanation for it. I'm just trying to give you confidence in the fact that you can believe something that doesn't, that's not explainable. Trying to give you some confidence in that. So when you look at the stars tonight, tomorrow night, Christmas night, when you go out there and you look up into that night sky and you see them, it might shake you a little bit. It might rattle you a little bit, you know, in a good way. And maybe all you can say is amazing. God, you are amazing. Maybe you stand there and you look and you feel really small, but also loved. And maybe all you can say is thank you. Thank you. If you don't say anything else on Christmas Day, tell him thank you. You know, tell him thank you. So God's in his own word here, made really clear hundreds and even thousands of years ahead of time that there was a plan, that this moment, that this child was coming, was expected. There are numbers of prophecies. In fact, there are so many that it's mathematically impossible that they would all come to fruition. They would all be fulfilled in one person at one time in one place. That is, And I'm not taking the time to go into all that. You can do it yourself. But the hundreds of prophecies in this book that point to one person, one time, in one place, all being fulfilled in that way, it's, it's impossible, except that it were true. Okay? Uh, but here's some verses. Let me give you some, and I'll give you some dates on them. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is around 1400, 1450 B.C., somewhere in there. Uh, God says, it's when it was written, when it occurred, was in Eden. So this is as far back as you can go. But it was written about 1400 B.C., by Moses, uh, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and talking to the serpent here, between your offspring and her offspring, he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Right there he's talking about, when he says offspring, offspring is the word seed. Um, so he's saying the seed of this serpent and the seed of this woman will be in a face-off, so to speak, that the seed of the woman will ultimately crush the seed of the serpent, which is a striking statement because women don't have a seed, they have an egg. Men have a seed. So to claim that a woman is going to have a seed is a bit of a strange statement, um, but hold on to it. 
If we go on in Numbers chapter 24, same author, same time period, Moses writing this, um, when he wrote it, it's the same t- is, is mo- when he wrote it's the same time period, but it's much later in time because we're not talking about um, Adam and Eve now. Now we've moved all the way up to Moses and stuff. But in Numbers chapter 24, Moses records a prophecy that was written by a um, a prophet, and it says, "I see him, but not now; I behold him, but not near. A star." shall come out of Jacob or Israel. A scepter, which means a king, shall rise out of Israel. This is a prophecy of a king, a star that will arise out of Israel. Psalm chapter 2, coming forward even farther, about 1000 B.C., when David records this. Verse 7, I will tell the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now he's talking to David, but this is prophetic about Jesus. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him, in the son. That's Old Testament, guys. That's all the way back to David's day. First uh, Chronicles chapter 17. This is referring to David's day as well. And it's when God promised a covenant with David. It says in verse 10, And I, God, will subdue all your David enemies. Then he goes, look what he says. Moreover, I declare to you that the Lord will build, God's speaking, but he says, I declare the Lord will build you a house. Uh, Basically a family, a family name, the house of David. He says, when your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, when you die, I will raise up your offspring. There's that word seed again, after you. One of your own sons, and I'll establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne. Look at this forever. Now, again, this can be pointing to Solomon, but it's pointing bigger than that. It's pointing more towards Christ. He's Because look at the eternity of this throne. Verse 13, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will take I will not take my grace or my steadfast love from him as I've taken it from him who was before you, talking about Saul, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. This person who would be to him as a son. All right? Proverbs 30, coming about to 750-ish B.C., when this one was in there. Proverbs 30, verse 4. But who has ascended to heaven and come down? Rhetorical question, only God. Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Rhetorical question, only God, obviously. Um, He goes on, who's wrapped the waters in a garment? Who's established all the ends of the earth? God, what is his name? Watch this, and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Pointing to his son. Now pause and I'll throw you forward. Acts chapter 4 tells you a very powerful statement along those lines. It says, and there is salvation in no one else. Talking about Christ. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which uh, we must be saved. Salvation comes through knowing the name of the Son only. Not as a magic uh, word, but knowing Him. Knowing who that Son is, uh, is Christ. Isaiah chapter 7, coming a little farther forward, maybe 700 B.C. in there. says, And He said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? 
Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Watch this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That word Emmanuel means God with us, God present with us. So this virgin is going to have a son. That son will be known as God with us, God present. Interesting, too, that we now know there's going to be a virgin who gives birth. But if we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, if you recall, he told as I read earlier in chapter 3, he told uh, the serpent that the seed of woman uh, would destroy him. That's pretty much a picture of a virgin birth right there. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, and uh, one that's familiar at Christmas time. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. Now, notice that I've often heard Ravi Zacharias say this, one of my favorites. He would always note that the child is uh, born, but the son is given because the son has always been. Uh, the child, the, the physical child was given to us, but the son has always been. I mean, it was born, but the son is given because the son has always existed. He says, and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called. This is the son's name. Wonderful counselor. Powerful words there because the Holy Spirit is known as Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. The Son's name is Mighty God. His identity is Mighty God. Everlasting Father or Eternal Father. That name is associated with the Son. Also, Eternal Father and Prince of Peace. Peace between God and man. Can this not be a better picture? Can there be a better picture? I don't think so of the Trinity. This is such a great image of our God expressed in uh, three persons just by the titles given to the Son. But this is the child that's going to be born. That's why he says all God and all man. Uh, verse uh, or Chapter 11 of Isaiah, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. Je Jesse was David's father. So he's basically going back to the talk of uh, a house of David, uh, a royal home, a royal house. And so Jesse was David's father, saying there's a branch that's going to come from him that will bear fruit. Verse 2, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, basically find, find itself at home. That's the language or the idea of what's being painted there. Find itself at home, not the spirit will. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, this descendant of David, of Jesse, is going to be someone who the Holy Spirit in all of its fullness finds itself completely at home in. It's a picture of Christ. Isaiah 53, the whole chapter, but we'll sit on just a couple of them. Verse 2, he had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Um, this is talking about this coming uh, servant of God. But we know him here as Christ for sure. But he's not looking like a king, is he? He's not looking like a king. He's no form that we should look at him, no majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And we esteemed him not. Think about where Jesus was born. King. Not in the Capitol building. And not in a royal palace. You know what I mean? And his life, well, we won't go into all that, but you can go look at all, read the, read that chapter 
uh, verse 5 in the same chapter, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his, with our, excuse me, with his wounds, we are healed. Man, what a picture, man. I mean, that's jumping ahead to the crucifixion, but you don't get much more clear than that. And remember, you're talking about 700 years before he was born. Let's keep going. Another uh, about 700 around the same time period, Micah in chapter 5. Micah records in verse 2, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrata. So there's actually a couple of Bethlehems. So this is being very specific. This is saying Bethlehem Ephrata, one specific, not just a random city, one city. And not just when there's two by the same name, this one, O Bethlehem Ephrata who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. This is pointing back all the way to the prophecy that was back in Numbers. He says, verse 4, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, verse 5, and he shall be their peace. Just like Isaiah was saying, Prince of Peace. Again, now we have a specific location, 700 years, 700 years ahead of time, guys. Daniel would go on in, in uh, about 560 or so years beforehand and give all kinds of information, including an exact date when he was supposed to arrive. I'm not going to go all into that. It's in chapter 9. But there are multiple places where Daniel would point to this child, and in particular, he gives a date. So ultimately, though, the child is born. Ultimately, the child is born. That's what we remember on Christmas. And right now, listen, even if we can't explain it all, one thing we can be sure of is for hundreds of years and thousands of years, God was pointing to it. So let me just really quickly, I want to read to you when this, what's happened when this child is born. And if you've got your Bible, awesome. If you don't, you better grab it because I'm not putting these up. <laughs> I want you to read this. I want you to see it or at least hear it. I don't, I don't want you to follow it on the screen. It needs to be important in your own hands if you've got a Bible in your hands. So at the turn of the B.C.A.D. era, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she found to be, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, right family, right? Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Makes me think back on Isaiah chapter 11 where he is full of, of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. From the start, his purpose was to save them from their sins even before his birth. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Matthew's literally telling you this occurred to fulfill what Isaiah wrote 700 years prior. Verse 24, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he in fact called his name Jesus. 
Let me throw you back to Luke chapter 2. And this is the more familiar story, but we're just skimming through it really quick. Uh, Verse 1, same time period, obviously. This is Luke's account, not Matthew's. Talking about the same time period. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So the important note there is this is an exact moment in time. These people lived. We can go back and trace this and go, did this actually happen? It's a historical moment. It happened. The people lived. Okay? Uh, Verse 3. It's an exact time. Verse 3. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. That is a very exact location from Galilee to Nazareth, uh, from Nazareth and Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, to Bethlehem. He's going right to the spot because he was of the house of the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. Exact family. Family that's supposed to be the, the family of David. And while they were there, the time came to give her, to give, for her, excuse me, to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Exact, exact kind of outcast that Isaiah spoke of. Verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone all around them. And they're filled with great fear. There's some sense of awe here. Shock. Fear. And the angel said, don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. I'm bringing it to you, but it's for everybody. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, exact location again, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ means Messiah. Messiah the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. A baby. A child in swaddling clothes in a manger. In a diaper. In a manger. Think about the frailty of this moment verse 13 and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising god and saying glory to god in the highest and on earth peace among all with whom he is pleased and when the angels went away from them into heaven the shepherds said to one another let's go over to bethlehem yeah i guess so but there we have bethlehem again and see this thing that has happened which the lord has made known to us and they went with haste and they found mary and joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. Listen to this, verse 18. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They were in... I didn't have explanation for it. They 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 were shook by it. But Mary treasured up all these things. But look, pondering them in her heart. She's treasuring them, but she's also working over it and thinking on it and just what's happening blown by the reality was he was a human child a human all God and yet also a human child and the child grew and became strong he had to learn how to use his body the body that was prepared for him but he had to learn how to use it he, he, but he did it without sin 
the biggest set apart from us, but just the fact that the words are there, that he grew, that he became. It's not usually what we think of when we think of being all God. But we can't explain it. We can't explain it, but what we do know is he grew up among us. He grew up among us. He did. Emmanuel, God with us. And in this case, a child. And he is actually one of us in this case who grew up without sin. So let me close with this. Um, I usually like to look this back up around Christmas time, so I'll share it with you. And I've shared it before. If, if you've been friends with me a while, you've heard this. But um, years ago, I got asked to lead a Bible devotion in Nazareth as we were I was on a trip and we were in Israel and uh, I prepared something but even before we got to Nazareth uh, my first time in Israel as I'm seeing Galilee and all these things I'm starting to get rattled man I'm starting to get really shook up at all of this and I realized I, I couldn't simply just talk about G- God being a child I couldn't just talk about Jesus running around like a kid in Nazareth. I mean, I, I, just to pull a positive message about Nazareth out of it, I just, I, I was losing it. That wasn't going to get it done. So I quickly started writing something a, a completely different. And then when we got to Nazareth, listen, I'm really glad I did because uh, it was killing me. I'm seeing these rolling hills. We're on the uh, edge of the cliff where they were going <clears> to <throat> attempt to throw him off. And so you've got this great view, but but just looking back and seeing these hills where the town is and the people kind of walking around and even the houses looked a lot like I would have imagined them looking 2,000 years ago, even now. I couldn't handle it, man. I was just, I was completely rattled. All I could do was just read what I wrote. And so each Christmas I try to find this and read it again for myself, so I'll share it with you, but I'm just going to read it and then we'll pray. And it just says this. Uh, reading this, Luke chapter 2, which is what I was asked to speak about. Reading this is great, but something gets lost in the words on the page and the many deep theological things to say. The truth is, this is where he was a boy. This is where he was a human child. I cannot wrap my brain around it. El Shaddai, Elohim, grew up. This is where God, Hashem, Adonai, Jehovah, Jesus ran and played with his friends. Somewhere in this town, the God of all creation might have won a game of tag or hide and seek. This is where the father of all who created the universe from his voice alone was taught by his human father how to create from wood and stones. This is where his mother would call him to come in for dinner. This is where the wonder and discovery of a child would be embraced by the mind of a sovereign God. Guys, as I'm even reading this again, it blows blows me. It blows my mind. This is where I would, or this is where uh, a boy would observe the awesome force of nature and the delicate wings of a butterfly, all while holding together, holding them together with the very breath from his mouth. This is the place where the same spirit that hovered over the waters of creation itself conceived the only begotten of the Father in a virgin. Theology, how how foolish 
It's beyond theology. It's spectacular. It causes us wonder and awe. The same boy that would be raised here by his earthly father is the same son who stood with his heavenly father and created all things by his word alone. To see this boy was to see God. I have no way to teach this. How can I teach what I can't comprehend? And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. It's beyond explanation. It is the most shocking part of the mystery of the gospel. The same child that ran and played on these hills would provide the salvation for us all. My drug abuse, my filthy mouth, my adultery, my lust, my greed, my pride, all of it would be cast on this child. When he'd grown up, it would be my selfishness, my arrogance, and my pride that would bring him to the top of a hill where he would not slip through the crowd and leave like he'd done in Nazareth, but he would remain, and for my sake, he would suffer and die there in my place. For me, for the sake of my sinfully disgusting heart, absolute holiness became flesh and dwelt among us. It's completely beyond belief, yet I place all of my faith in its reality. And this boy, having fully grown to be a man and having always been completely God, defeated death and will return for me. How can I be worth this? Man, I'm telling you, if you don't know Jesus today, I'm going to tell you right now, you will spend eternity learning to know him. He is so much other than we are. But at the same time, Emmanuel, he has been with us and he is with us now. And you can have that same freedom from sin that I have. All you got to do is give him your life. Take, take a knee, surrender, be done with the fight. Just turn it over to him. Let this Christmas be the Christmas that changes everything for you from now on. Just tell him, say, look, I'm a sinner, Lord, I know it. I give my life to you. Change my life today. Come into my life. Be with me. Guide me. Listen, if you guys want to do that today, I, I'm begging you to do it. And please let us know you did so we can pray for you and help you get connected with people that can walk with you. Uh, and look, when you walk outside Christmas this year, walk, take a minute and go out there. Just take a minute and go look at the stars and just say, thank you, Jesus. I'm not worthy, but thank you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for providing it for us. Thank you, God. Thank you for your son. Thank you, Jesus, for coming as a child. Thank you for that gift, the greatest gift that's ever been given or ever shall be given. Thank you that you did what none of us could do in defeating death. And, and making the way for redemption, Lord, for freedom of sin. God, I pray today that people would turn their lives to you and that they would lay their lives at your feet, God, and, and that I know that you would pick them up in your arms, that you hold them close, that you love them, because I know you've done it for me, and I am so not worthy. Lord, I love you. We love you and worship you, and we ask these things in Christ's name.